Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. It's good to see those who are visiting with us. It's good to see uh, some folks that have returned. I assume you're Ensign Shoemaker, is that right? Ensign Shoemaker is with us this morning. Congratulations to him on graduating that, uh, what sounded like a grueling officer training school from the reports that we heard, but uh, it's good to see you back and congratulations on that. It's a big accomplishment. Um, This morning we're going to be looking at, um, obviously as we just heard read from Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at Ephesians, and Paul's letter to the Ephesians is one that talks at great length about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Um, And one of the purposes of writing this letter is really to answer his own prayer that Paul gives there in Ephesians, which we just heard read. Um, Things that they might know, such as uh, what is the hope of his calling that he says in verse 18. Uh, What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He goes on then throughout the letter to answer those questions and tell them exactly what those things are. Now, um, in the first half of the second chapter, if you're already in Ephesians, look over at chapter 2. In verses 1 through 10, Paul speaks about the wonderful grace of God that's expressed in personal salvation. And we've talked before about how salvation is a personal thing. Um, it's one that we have to go to God for. We have to reconcile ourselves. No one can do that for us, right? Um, now, in our scripture of focus, we're going to be looking today at verses 11 through 22. And we're going to look at how Paul explains the salvation of the Gentiles, and how they become fellow heirs to the promise. Okay, And we're also, of course, going to look at how that applies to us. Um, This is a very important section of Scripture, especially as we think about expanding the kingdom and being evangelists and and teaching others about God's Word. We have to understand uh, what this topic is covering, and we have to understand how we fit into it as well. In fact, um, it pertains to the mystery that Paul talks about. If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 6, and we'll read this in our reading this week, but um, this is the only sermon we're going to have in Ephesians, right? We, we don't get multiple weeks here as we're going through God's Word. Next week we'll be looking in, in Philippians. But Ephesians 3, verse 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, all right? And so Paul now explains this mystery here in, verse, in chapter 2. Um, this passage also is important because it describes us, because many of us here are or were Gentiles, right? Many of us were not Israelites. Many of us were not part of the nation of Israel, especially back in the day in which the nation of Israel actually meant something in terms of being the people of God. And it also makes clear what our condition can be today, either outside of Christ or in Christ. And we're going to look at that today as well. So let's begin and look at verses 11 through 12 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, 
remember, verse 12, remember that you were at the same time, or at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So the first thing that we want to look at is the Gentiles' condition without Christ. If you have a New King James Bible or King James Bible, the word is used uh, instead of separated from Christ, the word is used without Christ. Same basic principles. The Greek holds both meanings. So the condition without Christ, and this is how he breaks it down, right? They're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were not part of the state of Israel. They were not included in God's chosen People. And if you read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it talks about God's chosen people. And in the Old Testament, the chosen people was Israel, right? And then as we get into the New Testament, the New Covenant, God's chosen people, holy, separated. You are a chosen nation, right? First Peter. God's people are now those who are in Christ. So things change a little bit as the covenant changes. Um, they were strangers from the covenants of promise, right? The promises that were made with, with Abraham and the nation of Israel, and those were not for the Gentiles. That was for the Israelites. Uh, promises that we read about in Genesis chapter 17, verse, verses 7 through 8. He says, And I will uh, establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That last part's important because that's how it's always been. From the Israelites to now, God is our God. There is no other God other than him. But for those outside of Israel, they didn't have that promise. They didn't have that God. They didn't have that hope. And that's what Paul talks about next. He says they have no hope. Hope springs from the promises that are made. Without those promises that God made to the Israelites, they had no hope. They were just wandering, just like Abraham was really at the beginning. God said, go, and Abraham went. But he didn't really have direction except for what God was sending him to do. There was no hope. There was no promise yet until, of course, what we just read in Genesis 17. Now, because they were strangers from those, that covenant of promise, they didn't have the same hope the Jews did because they were without God in the world. For many Gentiles, they did not have that one true God. Uh, and now, in one sense, they did have God, as uh, in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, it says, He did not leave Himself without witness. And in Romans, it also talks about how God could be seen in nature. And for many of the pagan faiths, and the Gentiles would fall into that, they created their own gods. They saw something in nature, and they said, Hey, we need to worship that, because we can't make thunder, but that somebody did, so we got to worship that. And the Israelites, even themselves, didn't truly understand God and His presence and who He was. Being the one true God, they themselves erected, of course, idols, the golden calf, uh, to, uh, to worship. Because they wanted something physical that they could see and touch in order to worship. But that didn't change the fact that God was their God. So in one sense, they did have God. They just didn't recognize or know Him. And He, in, in turn, didn't know them uh, because they were not heirs to the promise because they did not have a true knowledge of God. 
And that knowledge is what provides righteousness, it provides uh, joy and peace, and it provides salvation, right? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And so without that, they had no faith. They didn't have faith in the true God because they didn't have knowledge of it. Now, let's continue. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So, the Gentiles' condition through Christ... Right? So first we're without, and now we are through. Um, the first of which, they now have the ability to be one body with the Jews. Through Christ. It's only through Christ that they have that opportunity to be one with the Jews. Because, as Paul says, Jesus is our peace. Right, Bringing peace to the Jews and the Gentiles. And how did he do that? Paul says he broke down the middle wall. He broke down the wall of division, the wall of hostility. That's the law of commandments contained in ordinances, which once separated Jews from Gentiles. That law that said Gentiles were unclean, don't don't have anything to do with them. Or, hey, that person over there ate pork, and therefore now they are unclean, and you should have nothing to do with them. Jesus, through his death on the cross, abolished the things that created enmity between Jew and Gentile. He broke down that wall of hostility. Because of Jesus, who made peace by reconciling both Jew and Gentile to God in one body through the cross, can now be one body with the Jews. They also can now share access to the Father with the Jews. Look at verses 17 and 18. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off and those who are near. Those who are far off were the Gentiles. Those who are near were the Jews because they were near to God. And those who were far off were the Gentiles because they were separated from God. Because of Jesus, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Let's break that, break that down a little bit. The access to the Father is through him. Him, the subject being Jesus there. Through him. Look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Keep your finger here in Ephesians. Turn over to Romans. We're going to look at two, uh, two separate scriptures here in Romans chapter 8. The first one is Romans 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So through Christ, through His sacrifice on the cross and becoming uh, at the, going to the right hand of God, being lifted up in glory... 
He now intercedes on our behalf to the Father. So it's literally through Jesus in which Gentiles and Jews, whoever believes in Christ and, and obeys His commands, can access the Father because He is our intermediator. He is our mediator, right? Look at uh, verses uh, 26 through 27 of Romans chapter 8. And this speaks to the other part of what Paul says in verse 12. He said, uh, For through Him, through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So there's two entities, actually all three entities of the Godhead that are mentioned in that verse. Through Jesus, we have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now let's look at the Spirit aspect in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness... For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we have two entities. One, Jesus, who was a free gift of God, the grace of God that was sent down because He loved the world in order to save us and reconcile ourselves back to Him. And then through obeying His commandments, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so in those two entities, those two figures of the Godhead, we have intercession with the Father. And I say we because we fit into that as Christians, as those who believe and obey the commands of Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, right? Romans talks about that as well. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, no slave, no free, for all are one in Christ Jesus. So the Gentiles conditioned through Christ, they can now uh, be one body with the Jews, and they can share access to the Father with the Jews. Now, their condition in Christ is another aspect. Look at verses, go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at uh, verses 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow saints or fellow citizens with the saints. Let's stop right there. Before, earlier in verse uh, verse twelve, it says you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. And now he's saying in verse nineteen, you are no longer that, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. You are now a part of that commonwealth, but not necessarily the same thing because the kingdom is much bigger than the commonwealth of Israel. Let's keep going. uh, Verse 19. And members of the household of God. So not only are they fellow citizens, they are now fellow members with the household of God. Remember before they were without God in the world and now they're part of His household. That's something to say amen about. They are now a part of the holy temple in the Lord. Look at verses 20 through 22. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Before they were without God in the world, but now God dwells in them through the Spirit. I love the illustration that Paul paints in verses 20 through 22. I'm not a structural engineer. 
I don't know how to build things very well with my own hands. But when he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I look at that as the ingredients in concrete. Right? You have gravel and you have dirt and cement, the, the whole mixture that goes into that. But without Jesus being the mixer, it, it's nothing, right? The apostles and the prophets are not, I'm sorry, is that right? Yeah, the apostles and the prophets are two separate entities. And you can't just have one and have salvation. You can't just have apostles and have salvation. You can't just have prophets and have, have salvation. Together, with Jesus, that's where salvation comes from. Because they all together bring about the truth and bring about salvation which in and of itself speaks to the importance of the apostles' teaching. Many religions today ignore some of the apostles' teachings. I I heard while I was down at Polishing the Pulpit that there are some um, faiths that uh, just completely ignore all of Paul's letters altogether. They just just stick to the gospel accounts, and uh, and that's it. In Revelation, that's it. None of that in-between stuff. To each their own, I guess, but it's not the truth. It's not the whole truth, so help you, God. Now, how does this apply to us today? Well, first of all, we need to understand... Oops, yeah, there's some more bullet points for you. There we go. How does this apply? Well, first, we need to understand what one's condition is outside of Christ. That's a very important aspect. A person is still an alien and a stranger with no participation in covenants and promises that God has with His people today. And when I say His people, I mean those who have obeyed the commandments of Christ and become part of that holy nation that has been separated by God from the world. A person has no basis for hope and they must go through life without the blessing of God guiding them in this world. One who is outside of Christ has no hope. Now, tonight we're going to start a new series on the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, Because that's part of Galatians chapter 5, and with really one week to cover Galatians, I didn't get an opportunity to go through that. So we're going to go through week by week and look at the different fruits of the Spirit. Tonight we're going to look at love. And love is the first fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. And the opposite of love is hate. Now oftentimes when we look in the world and we think about speaking to others and sharing our faith and evangelizing, and when we evangelize and in doing so use the Word of God to condemn sin, we're not condemning it, it's God's Word that's doing it, that's considered hateful sometimes. People with no basis of hope, no moral compass, that is, of course, that we find in Scripture, can, that's, you, if you put yourself in their, in their shoes, you can see how that could be considered hateful. You don't love me for who I am, and so you're bringing forth all of these things that show me that that's not right. And I think one thing to keep in mind when it comes to evangelism and talking about those things 
is again, let the Word of God do the speaking. This is not your opinion, but it's God's Word. And if they're not honest and they're not humble to accept the Word that God has provided, then they, and they are outside of Christ, understand that that's where their condition is. And we need to help them understand the love of God in that He helps free us from our sins. But a person has to accept that to get away from the sinful life, to break away from the, sins, the, 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 the fleshly desires of the world and shackle themselves to Christ. Because that's what being a Christian is. It means getting rid of and separating yourself from the world. Because we are a holy nation separated by God, meaning we are separate from the world. We need to break away from the chains of bondage to sin. For some who have been living lives of sin, that is a difficult thing to do. Probably the hardest thing someone could ever do is to break away from the life of sin that they're living in. Why? Because sin is comfortable. Idleness is comfortable. And that's really what it comes down to. We also need to understand what has been accomplished through Christ. He has ended the old law, right? Paul talked about that. But we, we also looked at last week in Galatians chapter 5 that we should not be seeking to be justified by the law. It's not the law that justifies us, but it is Christ. He has sought to unite everyone into one body. And we should not try to undo the work of Christ on the cross through division. Look at Romans chapter 14, verses 16 through 19. Paul writes, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We need to be working toward that in less division, less splitting of hairs over whether or not there's a doily over the bread or not. I was talked about in class this morning. We get so fixated on the little things that, that divide us when we should be focused on, as Adam mentioned in class today, building up the saints to love and good works, right? That's, he, that's what Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says. Do not neglect the assembly, but instead work together to build up one another to love and good works. That's why we come together. That's why we fellowship with one another. And really that speaks to the next point of what we need to understand about what we have become in Christ, We have become fellow citizens with the saints in the wonderful kingdom of God, so we need to live accordingly. That's what Romans chapter 14, 16 through 19 says. We have become members of God's household, members of His family, so we need to behave and treat each other as the family of God. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, this is Paul writing to Timothy, 
Verse 15, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Then later, in the letter, he tells him this, in verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. That's not it. Technology has been giving me a headache today. First Timothy 5, verses 1 through 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. The focus of that is that we are family. The song's going in my head. We are family, and we need to act that way. We need to treat each other that way. You know, sometimes I don't think we think about the household of God, the church, being that. Now, when I went down to polishing the pulpit, we went down and we visited congregation down there. We were surrounded by some 5,000 fellow saints. And you know, you could sit down next to any one of them and spark up a conversation. And probably nine times out of ten, you know somebody else that the other person knows. You have some kind of mutual acquaintance in the church. For example, Levi's guest with us today, right? She's the preacher's daughter up in Finley. But she goes to the same church camp that my wife and I met at. So we have that connection. The household of God is a family, and it is far-reaching. As Kit mentioned at the table this morning, we partake of the communion this morning. That is a communion not only with God and with our, our fellowship here, but with all those around the world who are gathered together today doing the exact same thing, honoring and remembering Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We are a family. Think about Thanksgiving. Imagine you were at a Thanksgiving meal and one of your family members comes in. They don't say anything to anybody. They just come in, they fill up their plate, they sit down, they eat, and they leave. They never say anything to anyone. They don't greet anyone. They just get their fill and go as quickly as possible. What do we think about a family member that does that? What if that family member has some real bad things going on in their life that they need help with? But no one went over and sat down with them and asked them how their day was going. They just let them be by themselves, and then when they left, they ignored it. Can we be that way in the household of God sometimes? I think that responsibility is both on the person who may be struggling with something to let somebody know that they're struggling with something, but it's also the responsibility of the other family members to reach out and to be that support because that is what the household of God is all about. It's all about love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, fruits of the Spirit we'll talk about again tonight. We also, um, as Paul mentioned, we have become the temple of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We need to be careful about how we treat our bodies and what we use our bodies for. Again, as we think about the opposite things, if we look at you know, the, the earlier part of Ephesians 2 and even the earlier part of Galatians chapter 5, before he starts talking about the fruits of the Spirit, he talks about what is the fruits of the flesh. 
right? And a lot of those sinful things of the flesh are replaced by things, good things, good fruit found in the Spirit. And so we need to, be, we need to work diligently to make sure that we are producing good fruit and not using our bodies, our minds, and our spirit for bad things. So, as Paul is talking to the Ephesians here, he's mainly using general terms to explain things. But I hope that we have seen the implications of what he says that affects each of us personally. We all have a responsibility as members of the household of God. You see, with salvation coming to the Gentiles through Jesus, we each benefit greatly on an individual level because we are all there. We are all without God. We are all you know, outside of, of Christ at one point. Aliens, strangers, all of those things. But because salvation came to the, to the Gentiles through Jesus, we each bear an individual responsibility to live up to our holy calling as God's kingdom, as His family, and as His temple. Do people see that when they see us in the world? Or do they just see another hypocrite? What is your condition in regard to Jesus Christ? Are you separated? Are you outside of Christ? Because you have not obeyed the commands of Christ. Right? That's how you get into Christ. As we looked at last week, to be crucified with Christ means to be baptized into Him. Romans chapter 6. Have you benefited from the work that was done through Christ on the cross? Are you living as a person should who is now in Christ? These are things that I hope we can reflect on and think on as we go throughout our week and maybe as we just go throughout this next invitation song and reflect on whether or not we are living according to the gift that we've been given freely. If you are a member of the church, if you have been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, have you been living according to being a part of the family of God? If not, can we help you in any way? Are you struggling with something in your life, as I just mentioned earlier, that we can assist you with, whether it's through prayer, through study, or just a a conversation? That's what the family of God is here for. That's what part of the invitation is for. The other part of the invitation is for those who are outside of Christ, who would like to be joined with Christ in baptism this morning, to break the shackles of sin of the world and join yourself with Christ to be a part of that heavenly kingdom. And have access to that eternal hope. If we can assist you in any way this morning. That siren usually means there's an emergency. And for some of us, we may have an emergency in our life. And that we have not united ourselves with Christ. Make it today. Make today be your day of salvation. If we can assist you with that, won't you come now while we stand and sing.